Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode of the show, Tom talks with Corey Tomchek of Iro. Corey discusses how he prioritizes and hires to ensure his team over-communicates with customers, which is critical to success in the rural culture where he provides services. And you'll also hear how Corey has leveraged his roles on boards over the years to support him and the business. Corey Tomchek, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. How are you today? I'm honored to be part of this. Thank you. We were. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you're with us today. So uh, let's set the context. Tell me a little bit about Iro, your shredding company and recycling company, but give me a, a picture of your business right now. Tell me about it. Well, Iro is celebrating its 32nd year in business. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? You know, I started this company way back when as a purely a recycling operation. We were doing bulk cardboard and print shop waste and, and office paper too. This was pre anyone being aware of identity theft, servicing customers in North Central Wisconsin. We evolved as the industry evolved. We started doing document destruction. I started out with a very simple hammer mill shredder and I got involved in NAID, I think in the second year of, of, of NAID's existence. And I've continued my involvement and activity with iSigma. Yeah. It's been extremely helpful to my, to my business. For a while, uh, for a while, I guess for 15 years, we had a actual garbage hauling business. Wow. Uh, and we sold that almost five years ago now to uh, waste management. Uh, it was a very happy day around here because I went from 48 employees down to 22 overnight. So, wow. I say okay. Corey won that. Night. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So when did you sell that part of the business? I'm, it's going to be almost five years ago now. Okay. Right? So in terms that you're now a shredding and recycling company, primarily. Correct. Um, Tell me a little bit about your operation. Are you plant-based, uh, mobile? What What's the makeup of your shredding business? We are plant-based. I always jokingly tell people we have too many trees and cows per square mile in northern Wisconsin than we have people. So I, I can never make uh, a, a mobile shred truck monetarily justified. Got it. Okay. Okay. So part of the decision to be purely plant comes from your history, but also just the economics of putting a $300,000 truck on the road every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We okay. just don't have population density, which we like. I mean, don't get me wrong. We like our rural world, but it doesn't pay for a truck. Got it. Okay. So are you doing more than paper shredding? What else do you do? Let's see. A year and a half ago, we did start at the behest of one of my customers, some record storage. Oh, we're wow. very, very small. I mean, we're under 3,000 boxes. But Okay. So just, just a small ancillary revenue stream there. Are you doing things like hard drive shredding, product we, destruction, all that kind of stuff? We have a degaussing uh, machine for hard drive. Uh, we degauss and crush. We do product destruction on a variety of things. When we got into that, I didn't realize how much uh, call there was for that. We do everything from uh, uh, handling food waste, decasing stuff to uh, medical supplies. Every once in a while, we'll do a little pharmaceuticals, but that gets dicey. There's some pretty heavy regs you got to match up to. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I will charge for it. I'm happy to do that. And so you mentioned earlier 22 employees after the sale of the garbage business. Are you still at 22 full-time equivalent employees? Is that roughly your size still? Thankfully, we are. We are fully staffed. Good for you. That's great. And because you're, you're obviously collection, your drivers are collection, do you have mostly, is that team mostly drivers of the 22 or a lot of plant driver combination? What's the relative makeup of that structure? 
So I have, I have six people that are just drivers. Okay. Just doing trucks. Everything else is between the client and the office staff. Got it. Well, our, our facility is 40,000 square feet. We have a, a big tipping floor where waste management, GFL, advanced disposal, a couple of local haulers bring loads of just straight cardboard from their customers in and dump it on the floor. Wow. We also pick up loads of cardboard in the receiver boxes and dump it on the floor and bail it up. Okay. So that's the recycling part of the business that is more right. than just putting paper together. You're, you're also doing cardboard for other waste collection yep. companies. Okay. Yep. We have a couple that, that haul us office paper mixtures. The problem with that is I can't provide them a certificate of destruction because I haven't had it under command and control from point right. A to point B, but it still comes to us. So got it. Okay. So that gives us a really good sense of your business. And you've been at this 32 years. You've been at a long time. You've been involved in the industry. You're a known entity in the industry and have contributed a lot to the industry. I, but but I'd say I'm a known character in the industry. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the, the, the essence of this show is really talking about specific strategies or tactics or things that were implemented or resources you've implemented that have a verifiable impact on your business. And so what are you doing? What's a specific thing you've done that's created a leverage for your business that's created a verifiable result? What's going on? Tell me. First and foremost, I'll always give credit to, to Nate and I, Sigma. I, I think staying involved in the industry, my time servicing on the Client Resolution Council, uh, my time serving on the board, just going to uh, shred school. I still yeah. go to shred school, just being to, at the expos, that kind of stuff. Helps me to speak more intelligently about my industry. Helps me to you know, listen to what other people are doing. I certainly don't have all the answers. And the real answer for me is probably a combination of what other people are doing. Applied to my part of the world. My little slice of heaven, as it were, is just different enough from other parts of the world that you got you to mix and match and, and mash it up a little bit to make it work. Right. That's a huge part of it. So the other thing is, is knowing that little slice of the world. People in Northern Wisconsin, you like to know what they're dealing with. When they mm -hmm. pick up the phone, they like to know you're experiencing the same weather that they are, and they like to be able to communicate. And so say we get a foot of snow, you know, we're going to go down that truck route and call every customer say, Hey, we may be late. We may not get to you today. You know, we got to talk to the drivers and everybody appreciates that understands. And as long as we're communicating with them, they really don't care for a day late or something like that. So I think customer communication customer interaction is key. So was there a deliberate decision you made about being over, I guess, over communicative versus traditionally what a lot of businesses do is just, well, there's weather today. They must assume it. Has there been a process that you've engaged that's taken you from being whatever happens, happens to being uh, obsessive about this. And maybe that's not the right word, but it sounds to me like you're really focused on it in a great way. I want them to know that we think about them, that we value them as a customer, that we're going to take the time to make that simple phone call. And it may be just seconds, but it might be that they, oh, hey, when you come, could you also do this? Mm. It just adds that personal touch and, and lets them know that we're humans running a business and we're serving their business. So. 
Right. So you've you've talked about that in in light of the emergency or the last minute change that often comes with weather. But how have you leveraged that local awareness of your unique marketplace that doesn't look like a big city, that doesn't act like a big city in terms of that relationship to communication? What else are you doing that specifically leveraging that unique hometown connection? Well, I don't know that I can put my finger on that anything more than just being able to talk to people. We're small enough that you know I'm going to see, I could see a couple of my largest customers out for a Friday night fish fry in a, a local restaurant. We're certainly going to uh, run into them at community events. So when you're talking to them, or, or what's really fun is when I'm out wearing my uh, logo wear of some kind and someone says, you work for Iro? And I said, yeah, I do work for Iro. I said, oh, well, you know, I talked to your dispatcher, Michelle. She's so nice. She lets us know everything that's going on. I said, I'll let her know that. And then they ask what I do. I tell them I work for Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you train your staff to do that? Because it's easy to talk about. And a lot of times what I see when I, I talk to owners is there's a, there, it kind of naturally brews out of you because it's your business. But when you've got staff that you're bringing in, how do you get them to know, don't just hang up the phone. Uh, I want you to hang out. I want you to be overt and expressive about what's going on. How do you get the staff to get the same belief that you have? It starts when you hire them. When I hire someone, I, I can teach anybody the mechanics of any of these jobs. Nothing we do is that technical. Right. So I got to find the person that's going to fit. Fit in my organization has the personality that I'm looking for and just try to match them up. My interviews are very unstructured. They're more of a conversation like this. So I get to know who that person is, get to know a little bits about them. And in the back of my mind, I'm always trying to figure out how that, how that's going to apply, how their life experience is going to apply in working here. Got it. So it's really a, a hiring process that gets the right people that are aligned with the way you think the values, the, the predisposition that you've talked right. about, which is to be right. Overly communicative because that's what fits your local culture, not just a business culture. And it's a trap too, Tom. It's when we get a new person and one of the first mistakes that they, that they make is they want to give someone an answer, but they may not have all the information to give the right answer. So you just got to grin and bear that and help, help people get on their feet. But because we have a communication focus, you know, I'd rather call people back, Hey, you know, so-and-so told you this, but they really didn't understand that X, Y, and Z has to happen first. And we're not going to be there until Tuesday. Oh, well, thanks for the follow-up. So if you're uber communicative, when you do have that crisis, or we do have that problem, it's yeah. not a big deal. Right. Got it. So what else are you doing that really leverages business success, business results? I've got a great sales lady. A lot of people know Cindy Shainfus does her sales work. She's out and about in the community way more than I am. She's probably the first face and I'm, I'm the second face on IRO. Uh, and I also tell people I work for Sydney because oh, really? it gets stuff done. You know, I facilitate for those, those ladies. Um, right. That's my job, you know? So we're out in the community. We're active in the chamber of commerce, any kind of event that we can help. We've done all kinds of nutty things. We've, we staffed the kids play area at a local event had nothing to do with our, you know, reaching out to our customers, you know, it, it said nothing about others rather than we all had logo we're on, but people recognized it, you know, so, right. and they knew right. we were there to support. So. Yeah. It sounds like though, with 32 years of history, the brand becomes somewhat ubiquitous in the community. And then it's a, it's, <laughs> yeah, but, but a brand is often, when you think about it, a brand is often a promise. 
right? A, a sure. lot of times a brand is a promise, but you can't keep screwing the brand up. If the promise is we're communicative, we're engaged, we're involved, and you break that promise, then that has detrimental effect in your business, obviously. So from that perspective, what other things do you do with your team? Because you've got a pretty big team, you know, 22 employees isn't a small operation. Turnover can be high, but you've got drivers out in the world. You talked about the two ladies that are really important cogs in your wheel that you work for, but what about your team? Like, how do you make sure that they're top well, of their game? The, the guys working the bailers out the plant, they know that I'll get right in and help them if there's a problem, if there's a breakdown. I, I, I'll go a couple of days without seeing everybody on the plant floor, but I'll never go a week without talking to somebody on the plant floor. They've all seen me driving forklifts. They've all seen me working the conveyors. They've all seen me working with the trucks, just making sure that I'm, I'm not the guy that's sitting in the office every day and or going to a lunch or something like that. I'm involved and I hear them. I talk with them as much as I possibly can, because without them, I'm nothing. I'm too old to, to be the guy hauling the bales every day after day, <laughs> like when I started, but <laughs> right. So what, where are you hitting walls with your approach to over communicating, making sure you're connected in your community? Where do you hit uh, obstacles to that? You talked about sometimes your staff might not know all the steps and they try and over communicate, but where else are you feeling like you hit walls with that? I don't think I am. Okay. No, I, I think it's, I think it's served us very, very, very well. We've had guys screw up and miss customers or not read the paperwork right, didn't do everything they were supposed to do. But if, if they know that they can talk to me or they know they can get to Cindy or they know if they yep. get to the office staff, then I'll call back. It doesn't turn out to be, you know, the end of the world. Right. So you, you've created, it sounds like a lot of goodwill in the community as well, because screw-ups everybody can handle, but yep. it, it, daily screw-ups is different. But if they're daily screw-ups, uh, Corey's not happy and, and everybody around here is not happy. Right, right. <laughs> So, so is there anything else you are leveraging or adding to your business now that feels like it's creating better results for you than say you were doing three years ago? Are there new activities or engagements that you're doing or strategic implementations or tactics? What else may you be doing that's creating better results for you right now? Well, right now, the better results, you know, on the bottom line is the fact that scrap paper is worth a lot more money. It sounds like you're putting a lot through the machinery. So that's a good thing. Yeah, we're, we're a thousand plus tons a month minimally. So, wow, we're okay. I'm pretty proud of that being in the rural area that we are. That's so. amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I'm dug into your history a little bit on LinkedIn and, uh -oh. and while you've been at Iro for a long, long time, obviously, you know, 32 years, what's really interesting to me about your history is it's punctuated with board engagement. So I think, you know, not only I Sigma and Nade before that other associations like ISRI, right, which is the, sure. uh, it's just um, recycling industries. Yes. Yeah. So you've got that and then you've got the chamber and then you've got schools and then you've got political affiliate, uh, uh, athletics community. There's this big history with you of board activity. And it always seems to me that when you look at somebody's life outside of their business, there's an indicator of something. And so I, I guess what interests me is that board participation has been a huge part of your world and life. And I guess the question that comes out of it for me is more, 
How has that influenced how you run your business, how you lead? I mean, you kind of indicated a little bit about your historical stuff with Nate and iSigma and the importance of that, but I'm coming at that from a different angle. It's how has board membership, board affiliation, being on a board affected leadership and your business? How would you respond to that? I would say that if someone's going to A, volunteer or be elected to a board of some kind, uh, you're going to be around other people who are leaders and, and various degrees or want to be leaders. And I don't mean that derogatorily. They're, they're people yeah. who are trying to better themselves or, or, right. or add to something. And when you can be part of that group of people, inevitably things rub off on you and, and you learn about humans, you learn about yourself and you learn how that's going to apply in your personal and professional life. So I think that my time that I invest in that stuff, A, I really enjoy it. I'm kind of nuts that way, but B, it, it, it pays dividends and, and the things that I'm exposed to and I learn. Yeah. So can you point to something specific in how you run your business that's a direct reflection, not of what you learned from somebody on the board, but the act of being on a board. Is there something that translates from that board activity to running a business? Well, that's pretty varied. That could be if your board has employees that you report to. So like the school board, we had a lot of employees. We had a lot of human resources issues to deal with and, and interaction with the employees as a customer and the parents as a customer. You just learn things that you weren't yeah. exposed to in a, in a smaller business. It could be the business connections of the people you run into and the people you talk to. Wow. That's a thick question. No, I, I, I know it's a thick question, but it, it intrigues me because you've been so engaged for years and you just don't, you know, a lot of times as someone reaches the end of their career or they've built a significant platform in their career, they start getting, but you've had it through your whole existence. It's such a unique perspective, I think. And I, I was just intrigued by it. And sometimes you don't think about it. You just go do your stuff. But it just intrigues me sometimes when you have the kind of history you do that I, I wonder, do you, you do Robert's rules of order in your meetings, oh. like your business meetings or. No, I'm a, I'm a kind of a Robert's rules, not because, you know, properly applied Robert's rules of order really puts a framework together for being an effective meeting and an effective organization. Right. Now, not a lot of people understand that. I seem to have a knack for it. I've been able to teach people about it. I've been able to help people move forward with that stuff. But Robert's rules, generally, if, when people are first exposed to it, it kind of pisses them off because it, it, it's a structure and it's it's somewhat limiting, but it's also focusing at the same time. And it's meant to keep people focused on the task in front of them and take some of, not all, but some of the interpersonal biases and their, yeah, I can't think of the right word, but it, mm -hmm. it tries to take some of that out of it so that we're really making a decision. Now, in a small business day-to-day -day operations, there's really not that much of a place for Robert's rules of order. So Right, right. Because we're a benevolent dictatorship often as a business owner and we don't operate from the same structure rules. But right. no, I, I, I just think it's it's really intriguing and hence the reason I brought it up with you. Well, so I'm also a slow learner. I keep getting suckered into things. <laughs> Well, is there, is there any other things that you'd like to share in terms of success of what you've done? And if not, we'll call this, I really appreciate you, you processing this with me and, and talking it through. Being on this uh, show is an honor and the success for me. I mean, for someone to think I have something to offer is an honor for me. So I, I do thank you for the time and thank you for calling. I appreciate you doing that. And I, I just believe that 
32 years in the business almost proves that you've got something together because most businesses die in the first five years. So if you can make it 32 years, you've made it like almost seven units of five. So there's something good going on. I, I just really appreciate the contribution you've made over the years in our industry, in the uh, shredding and information uh, security industry. And I think you've been a huge proponent of it. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on the call with me today. Thank you, sir. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to tune in every week for a brand new $10,000 strategy or idea from trusted shredding and business professionals.